Hi, I'm Joseph Feraldi. I want to thank you for joining us here at Bayside Chapel Online. Our prayer is that today's service will be a blessing to you, that will encourage you in your journey with Jesus Christ, and it will help you to see all that God has in store for you. We would love to hear from you on how God is using this ministry to bless you, and we'd love the opportunity to pray for you. Just send us an email at amen at baysidechapel.org. Remember that you can stay in touch with us at any time. Just visit the App Store and search for our app at Bayside Chapel of NJ. Also, if God is using this ministry to bless you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us financially. Simply go online to BaysideChapel.org or use the Bayside Chapel app and choose whatever option works best for you. Enjoy today's message. On September 17 of 2001, I found myself in a very strange place, the nearly deserted terminal at Philadelphia International Airport. Now, you may remember that in the days right after 9-11, all air traffic was suspended. In fact, on 9-11, when it became clear what was happening, the FAA immediately grounded all aircraft, including those who were en route to their destinations. They weren't even allowed to finish their trips, but rather were forced to land at the nearest available airport. And so uh, for two days then, following 9-11, there were no airplanes in the sky whatsoever. It was just a very strange thing. By the 13th, the FAA had said that while the airlines can let those planes that, whose journeys had been interrupted complete their trips to their original destination, and the airline companies could begin moving equipment around to get it back in the right place so that they could resume operations on a limited schedule later that weekend. By the weekend, things were supposed to be more or less back to normal, but hardly anybody was ready to get back on an airplane after what we'd witnessed on that Tuesday. Now, I had reservations long in advance to fly on that following Monday, Monday the 17th, from Philadelphia to Chicago, because on that Tuesday, the 18th, I was supposed to defend my doctoral dissertation, the culmination of five years of hard work, and I wasn't about to miss that. If the airlines were flying at all, I was going to be on that plane. And I kind of partly rationalized by saying that, well, there never will be a safer time to fly than this with all the heightened security and the, and the greater awareness. Uh, this is certainly one of the, the safest times you could ever fly. But not very many people saw it that way. And so on that Monday morning, I went to the gate to get my plane to Chicago. And there were a half dozen of us there. Total of six. And we looked at each other like, is this it? And they said it was time to board the plane. And so the six of us got on the plane and very easily put our bags into completely empty overhead bins. And each of us took our own row because we could. But we looked at each other and said, this is eerie. This is just so strange. And the idea that killers had walked among us and had caused so much death and destruction just the week before, disturbed us as a nation. And we suspected in those days that there were terrorists lurking under, under every rock and behind every tree and that what happened on 9-11 was only the beginning of what was almost certain to be an endless string of terrorist events that would take place on our soil. And temporarily, at least, it left us nearly crippled with fear. 
Jude seems to be aware that his chilling little letter could have a similar effect on his readers. As we've seen in this series we've called Let's Get Ready to Rumble, Jude has informed us that we need to see ourselves as engaged in a battle. I called it last week the the war on error. We need to be aware of false teachers, wolves who will infiltrate the ranks of the church with the purpose of shipwrecking the souls of unwary Christians. And last week we looked at three ways we can participate in the war on error, how we each must be wary, we must be faithful, we must be ready to contend for the faith in the face of false teaching. And now Jude concludes his letter in the last two verses. And he concludes in a very unusual way. He ends with a doxology, an explosion of praise for the one who ensures that we will have victory in the face of this threat. And so for anyone who might have felt a little spooked by all this talk of false teachers infiltrating the church to shipwreck the souls of unwary Christians, Jude doesn't want us to be disturbed to the point of being paralyzed. And so the last two verses of this letter communicate loudly and clearly, we may be at war, but we need not be afraid. We may be at war, but we need not be afraid. And here's how he puts it. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Isn't that a tremendous little doxology? And I think that Jude is very strategic in placing it here because Within this little doxology, he he puts forward two perspectives that will keep us from succumbing to fear as we combat erroneous teaching in the church. Here's the first perspective I, I see given in this doxology. It's that we must be cognizant of what God can do. Be cognizant of what God can do. And and you see that in this exalted description of God in verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. In this one verse, Jude is saying, hey, you know, we're in a war, but you need not be afraid. You need to understand what our God is able to do. And, And he shows us two specific things that God is able to do in this one verse. First, he's able to keep us from stumbling. He is able to keep you from Stumbling, it says. When I was younger, I'd hear about older people falling, and I'd think, well, what's the big deal? You fall, you get up. But now that I'm older, I begin to understand why it's so important that older folks be kept from stumbling, from falling. Because for one thing, when you fall, you're apt to hurt yourself as an older person. And not only that, if you fall, there's no guarantee you'll be able to get back up. And so uh, I I think of a friend of Diane and mine who tragically not so long ago fell in her bathroom at home and didn't have her first alert device nearby. And so she broke her pelvis and her shoulder and she laid there for two days in agony before somebody thought to check on her and to get her the help she needed. So to be kept from falling, to be kept from stumbling, 
that's a good thing. And to be kept from falling is to be spared injury and to be spared agony. And so Jude is saying here that as we do battle against those who would infiltrate the church and try to trip us up and try to lead people astray, we need to be aware that our God is able to keep us from stumbling, to keep us from falling and all the damage that goes with that. In fact, the word keep that's used here is a, is a particular word in the Greek. It's, it's, more, it's stronger than just keep. It literally means to guard. It's a military term. Our God is able to guard you from falling. You know, when soldiers in a foxhole come under attack, they've got to have each other's back. They fight not only to save themselves, but to protect the man next to them. And Judah's saying, guess who's got your back? In this battle, it's the Lord himself. And he's going to make sure you don't go down. He is able to keep you from stumbling. Stumbling into what? Well, in the context of the letter, certainly, he's able to keep you from stumbling into the error of the false teachers. He's able to keep you from stumbling into the the sin, the immorality they endorse. He's able to keep you from falling into the judgment they deserve that he spoke of earlier in the letter. He's able to keep you from all the above. Presumably, he's able to guard you in such a way that you will be kept from falling into error, into sin, into judgment. And not only is he able to keep you from falling, he goes on to say he's also able to present you blameless. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless. This word present is an interesting word. It literally means to make you stand. So he's not only able to keep you from falling, he is also able to make you stand. Stand where? It says before the presence of his glory. He's able to make you fit to stand in the presence of God himself. Now, to be able to stand in the presence of God means we're going to need some work done on us, right? You know, you just don't go prancing into the presence of the king dressed in dirty old rags. I mean, you saw that if you watched any of the coordination yesterday, you noticed how magnificently everybody was dressed. Well, what if somebody showed up at that event dressed up in a muddy, tattered old jogging suit? That just wouldn't work. They have to take him out back and and get him dressed up before they could admit him. Well, you won't be able to prance into the presence of the king dressed in your dirty rags. And guess what? The Old Testament says that even our most righteous acts are like dirty rags in the presence of a holy God. And And the sad thing is there's nothing that we can do to ourselves to get us fit to stand in his presence. So somebody's going to have to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And guess who does it? The Lord himself. He does for us what we can't do for ourselves. We, we can't present ourselves blameless to God, but he's able to do it for us. Jesus gave his life in payment for our sins so that in him we could be washed clean. We could be made new. That we could be made right to stand in the presence of even holy God. And because of what God has done for us in Christ, we are able to be made to stand blameless before him, faultless, that means, having moral purity, the moral purity he demands, such that we are without blemish before him. The word that is used there, without blame or without blemish, faultless, 
is a word that is sometimes applied to Old Testament context to speak of the sacrificed lamb that was being presented to the Lord. Any lamb that was being presented to the Lord had to be what? Spotless. Had to be without blemish. It had to be blameless. And, and this is saying that God is able not only to keep us from falling into judgment, but he's also to make us stand without blemish, blameless before his throne. And the result is great joy. Whose joy? Well, certainly the Father's joy because his children are coming home. Certainly the Savior's joy because his work in our behalf has been accepted by the Father. And our joy as well, like, like those who are on trial in a courtroom and suddenly hear the judge declare, you're not guilty. And all of this reminds me of, of what Paul said to husbands in the book of Ephesians, where he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that he, she might be holy and without blemish. Sound familiar? It's not the same kind of language. We're to love our wives, men, as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He loved us, blemishes and all. He loved us when we were ugly. He loved us in our sin. He loved us so much that he gave his life to redeem us from sin, to wash us clean from that sin. And he had a purpose in all that. His purpose was to wash us and beautify us and dress us up so that he would have in us, his church, a beautiful bride for himself on his wedding day. What do we have to fear when we know we have that kind of groom? I love the story of a woman named Hannah who lives in Ontario, and she was to be married on August 25th. But on July 18 of that year, she was in a terrible car accident, a car crash. And she was severely injured, broken pelvis, uh, broken ribs, punctured kidney, a concussion, partial hearing loss, she was a mess, but she was determined not to let all that ruin her wedding day. And so in order to make sure that she could be there, her father, on August 25th, wheeled her partway up the aisle in a wheelchair. But then he stopped at a certain point, and her groom, Stuart, her fiancé, left the altar and went down and tenderly picked her up out of the wheelchair and carried her the rest of the way to the altar. And, you know, Hannah said that it was just the most amazing thing, that she didn't let herself feel anything that day except pure joy because of Stuart's willingness to do all that on her behalf. Though she had to sit for part of the ceremony, Stuart also helped her stand for the most important part, the saying of their vows. And she said, Stuart never left my side during all of this. He was strong for both of us. He always made me see how blessed I was. There's a guy who literally presented his beautiful bride to himself on their wedding day. What a beautiful picture of what Jude reminds us our God can do for us. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great 
joy. We may be at war, folks, but we need not be afraid. Be cognizant of what God can do. He can keep us from falling into judgment. He can make us stand blameless before him. Be cognizant of what God can do. And here's the other perspective we need. Be confident that he will do it. Be cognizant of what God can do and be confident that he will do it. Jude ends his letter with an inscription of high praise to God. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. What Jude is saying here is, look, if there is anyone in all the universe who can keep us from falling and make us stand blameless in his presence with great joy, it's our God. What makes us confident that he can do all this for us? Well, to begin with, he's the only God, our Savior. The scriptures clearly and consistently teach that there is only one God. Going all the way back to the days of the Old Testament, when the people of Israel would say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Oh, there may be others who claim to be gods, but there is nothing before him. He is the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And not only is he alone God, but he is our Savior through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well, I wish I could help you understand all that's packed into that one phrase. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, it speaks of the whole history of God's saving work on our behalf. It reminds us of how Adam and Eve rebelled against God in the garden and how the curse of sin they brought upon themselves has been passed down to all of us, their descendants. It reminds us of the fact that because we are in Adam and Eve's race, in their line, we are spiritually stillborn because Uh, And because of that, we are dead in our transgressions and sins, lifeless where God is concerned. And because of that, we are in peril, deserving God's everlasting judgment. But we're reminded as well of how God so loved us that he gave his only son, born of the Virgin Mary, to come to our rescue. How in Jesus, who lived a sinless life of total obedience to the Father, we have one who is able to save us completely by giving his life of infinite worth on our behalf. When jealous men were determined that he should die, he willingly gave that life to pay the ransom that sets us free from the debt of our sin. It it speaks of how he came alive again on the third day, victor over sin and death, and how by faith in him we are brought from spiritual death to everlasting life, empowered to live as we've never lived before. I wish I I could help you understand today how incredibly capable our God is, how incredibly loving our God is, how incredibly powerful our God is to save us this way through Jesus Christ our Lord. And if he's capable of all of that, don't you think he can keep you from falling? If he can save us so completely and defeat death so decisively, don't you think he'll be able to make you stand one day before his glory blameless and with great joy? Jude wants us to know he is all of that and so much more. This one we are counting on to keep us from falling. This one we are counting on to to make us blameless, to stand before him one day is definitely up to the task. In fact, to him belongs all glory and majesty, dominion and authority. Glory refers to the radiance of his splendor. 
Majesty is a word used only of God in the scriptures, and it speaks to of, a, of his awe-inspiring transcendence. Dominion is his power over all the world and authority, his sovereign right to rule. He possesses these attributes, it says here, eternally, past, present, and future. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. It's saying to us that he has been and forever will be glorious. He has been and forever will be majestic. He has and forever will exercise dominion and authority. There is no expiration date on the greatness of our God. And as long as time endures, and as long as it takes until Jesus comes in glory to set all things right and make all things new, our God will remain so very capable of keeping you from stumbling and making you stand without blemish before his glorious throne. You know, the older I get, the more aware I become that I have an expiration date. I don't know when it's coming, but it's coming. I can feel it. Aren't you glad our God has no expiration date? One pastor illustrates it this way. He talks about a, a friend of his who at a Sunday school picnic decided to play baseball with the kids. The kids had gotten a game of baseball up, and, and this old fellow figured... I know a thing or two about baseball. After all, I was a Little League champion, and I know how to pitch. So he volunteered to pitch to these kids, and, and he went to town, and my goodness, the old guy still had it, kind of. You know, he was able to put them loan away when he needed to. He was able to throw a few curveballs along the way, and when the game was over, the kids were all patting him on the back and telling him what a great job he is, and, and he said to himself, I guess this old fellow still has it until the next morning. When the alarm clock went off and he reached for it and he said, ah, and his wife said, what's the matter? And he said, don't touch me. My, my back's out. It's my spine. I think it's broken. Call the doctor. Call the ambulance. Call 911. Bring everybody. I can't move. And she said, what's the matter? He said, I think I'm paralyzed. It's my back. It's my shoulders. It's my neck. To which she responded, it's probably the baseball. He said, don't be silly. I played baseball all my life. And she said, well, you did go out pretty hard yesterday, dear. I pitched six innings without a break. He said, oh, oh, don't touch me. And then eventually he crawls out of bed. And the wife's right. You see, there was a time when he was able. But the body is just telling him he's not able now. And then this pastor applies it this way. He says, you know, the marvelous thing with God is that down through the centuries he was able he is able. He always will be able. I may be disabled, but he is able. I may be incapable, but he is always capable. He is always able. He always was able. He still is able. He will always be able to keep you from falling and to make you stand. So Jude says, contend for the faith, people of God. You know, realize that we're at war. You've got to learn to recognize these enemies who will try to infiltrate your ranks and attack from within. Be wary, be faithful, be ready to contend for the faith, but do not be afraid. Be cognizant of what God can do and be confident that he will do it. Now to him 
who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and splendor before all time, now, and forever. Amen. You know, before we conclude today, I just want to say, you know, a message like this is tremendously reassuring. But I don't want to give false hope. Because you need to understand that these, these great truths, these assurances that we're talking about today are only for believers, for people who already know Christ, who are in Christ, who have new life with God through faith in Christ. There is no guarantee for those who are outside of the faith, for those who don't know Jesus as Savior. And so I want to talk to anyone who might be here today who is just kind of uncertain where you stand. Maybe you think, well, you know, I've gone to church all my life, but I don't know that I've got what you're talking about, Dave. Or I, I try the best I can. I, I hope I'm in. But, you know, it's not a matter of your effort. It's not a matter of your trying hard. It's a matter of your acknowledging your complete and utter inability to get there on your own. Because the Bible teaches us that before we come to faith in Christ, we are spiritually dead. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. And it's not just you. It's common to the whole human race. Because we are children of Adam and Eve, we are cursed with the effects of their sin. When Adam and Eve died, we all died. And, and because we are born spiritually stillborn, if you will, we don't really have a true connection with God. And so that's why we struggle so much in life, trying to make it through this life without a true connection to God. But there's a remedy for that. You know, when Nicodemus went and saw Jesus late one night, and he said, hey, Rabbi, how can I be sure that I'll be in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus said to him, well, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus was puzzled by that, you know, as if to say, what do you mean, be born a second time? How can I be born a second time? Am I at this age going to enter again into my mother's womb? And Jesus said, no, 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 you misunderstand. You were born once physically, now you need to be born spiritually. You need the new birth that only I can give you. And then Jesus told Nicodemus how it can happen, right? He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The way to go from perishing to life, the way to go from being spiritually dead in sin to becoming alive with God in Christ is through faith, by putting your faith and trust in Jesus, not trusting in anything you've done, not trusting in your baptism or having gone to church all your life or trusting in your good works, but to say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Like everyone else in this world, I've done things that violate your holy law. I deserve your judgment. Like my parents, Adam and Eve, I'm a sinner, dead in my sin, deserving your judgment. But thank you for sending your son Jesus to do for me what I couldn't do for myself, to take my sin upon himself and to pay for my sin 
with his life of infinite worth. And not only did Jesus die on the cross to pay for your sin, he rose from the dead on the third day to prove that he had broken the power of sin and death over us. And now the living Savior is able to say to us all, trust in me, believe in me, receive my gift of salvation. Trust me to be your rescuer from sin. Let me be your leader for life. And it's at that moment when we, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus that we pass from spiritual death to spiritual life. We're born again. We're made new in Christ. Not only are we washed clean of the guilt of our sin, but we're given a new start with God. And I'm telling you that if you're faithful to walk with Jesus, you'll, you'll find out that he's able to make you live the life that you were always meant to live. He's able to live his beautiful life through you and make something truly spectacular of your life. So if there's any doubt in your mind today, if any question at all, I, I, I'd love for everybody here today to be able to leave here knowing for certain that they're in Christ and that all these wonderful assurances apply to them. I'd love for you to know as you leave today that, that you're born again. The scripture says that he who believes has everlasting life. And so I just urge you, from your heart, right here in this moment, just reach out to God and say, oh Lord God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus, come into my life and wash me clean. Uh, bring me to new life in you. You be my leader from this point forward. If that's what's in your heart this morning, and you want to make really sure of these things, there's one thing I'd like you to do before you leave. In either foyer, whichever way you leave today, you're going to see a great big green banner that says yes on it. And you'll find some folks standing there. All you need to do is go up to the, the person by the green banner and say, I said yes. And, and they want to put in your hands today this little booklet we've prepared for you, saying yes to a relationship with Jesus. It, it explains in more detail what it means to be in Christ, to have that new life in him, to have your sins forgiven, and, and then how do you start living the life that Jesus wants for you to live. So please, before you leave today, stop off and, and tell the folks by the next great big green banner, I said yes, so they can get this in your hands. Will you stand with me as we prepare for our closing song? Lord, we've been, uh, we've been talking about some amazing truths today. The power and the ability of you, our loving God, through Jesus Christ, to do such amazing things for us, to keep us from stumbling and, and to, to do a, a, an amazing transforming work in our hearts and lives such that we will be qualified to stand clothed in the righteousness of Jesus himself, blameless in your sight, welcome in the presence of a holy and mighty king. And so, Lord, we just want to say thank you today. Thank you for you have been so, so good to us. And most of all, we thank you for all that you've done for us in Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.